All right, friends, here we are, last sermon in the Psalms. Can you believe it? This is the end of our summer sermon series on the Psalms. We made it. We did it. Congratulate yourselves. You're still here. And um, what I'm going to do real quick just to get us started is I'm going to recap the entire book of Psalms briefly and uh, before we look at the final chapter today. Um, and by the way, here's your spoiler alert that while there are a lot of different sub-themes in the Psalms, there's a lot of different action. Um, there, there's the genres change, you know, from poems to laments to all kinds of things. The Psalms are, are actually all about one thing, um, actually one person. It is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Um, we began months ago in Psalm 1 with the writer making a promise to us, and the promise was that if we would embrace the Word of God, we would experience a blessed life. And as we went on to look at uh, the Psalms and the themes and just work through various books, we saw that that blessed life was going to come to us in the form of God's King. Um, a saving Messiah King would come, and as we saw throughout the, the whole book, He would be our Lord, our Shepherd, our Healer, our Truth, our Light, our helper, our rock, our refuge, our peace, and our joy. And some of you are going, yeah, I have seen those themes in the Psalms before. That's Jesus. That's what Jesus would come. That's what he would do. Jesus would come in the love and the mercy of God, and he would save us from sin. Um, you could understand that also to mean that he would save us from ourselves. The, these destructive evil actions that we do cleanse us from that. But, but he would also save us from our enemies. We saw that Jesus would fulfill every promise God makes to us in Scripture. And, Psalm 23, Jesus would lead us into green pastures. Um, we also saw that because Jesus, our King, will reign forever, we now have a hope and we have a future. And that hope and that future is eternal life with him. And as we learn later on in Scripture, we even get to reign with Jesus. So that's an overview, and that's a recap of 149 chapters of the Psalms. And now we are going on to the very last chapter, Psalm 150, which by almost every biblical commentator is called the final hallelujah. And it's really fitting. It's just, it, 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 it just fits so well because everything about Psalm 150 conveys energy and power. It is, it's like a lion's roar of praise to God. Um, it is, it, there's unmistakable passion in Psalm 150, joy, excitement. And it, it, the, the sense is it's as if the writer is gathering up all 149 chapters and he's holding everything that God has done and everything that Jesus will do. Every, I mean, all that God is. And I'm sorry, I can't think of a better, better illustration, but he reminds me of Steve Harvey. If you ever watch live at the Apollo Theater, Steve Harvey had this one tagline every week. Before an act would come up, he would say, all right, everybody, stand up and show your love for this next act. Well, it's like the, the psalmist here in 150 is holding up everything God has done, and he's saying, get on your feet, everybody, and show your love for all that God is and all that God has done. So, in the spirit of that, 
Everyone, I invite you to stand to your feet and let's read Psalm 150 together. You don't have to fear, it's only six verses, but let, let's read this really with, with a view of, of all that we've learned about God in, uh, throughout this series on the Psalms. Here we go. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with God's symbols. Praise Him with resounding symbols. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, be seated. Father God, we, we really want to enter into the spirit of praise and worship, not just in light of Psalm 150, but Lord, in light of every day that we live. Lord, today we want to place ourselves underneath your word, and we just want to say once again, as we have prayed so often in this series, Lord, reorient our hearts toward a life of worship, to an eternity of worship. God, draw us into the wonder and the awe of who you are, and Father, be glorified in every life in this church, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, did you notice Psalm 150 starts and ends the same way? There's a, a three-sentence phrase, praise the Lord. Um, here's a question for you. Do you think praise the Lord is an idea um, or a suggestion or a recommendation? Well, the answer is no. It's, at, it's in the imperative, it is a command a command to praise the Lord. And notice here in this command that God is the sole focus of the praise. It's just God, okay? So it's not, hey, everybody, praise the Lord and your political party. Praise the Lord and the nation you live in. Praise the Lord and your spouse. Oh, that's not a bad idea to give your spouse a little praise now and then, right? Or, or, or worship your job or your career or even yourself. He writes, praise the Lord, period. End of sentence. And what he's saying is, look, God is the only one who is worthy of our affection, our praise, our worship, and our adoration. Okay, now having said that, I want to pause for a second, and I want to remind you of something. Um, we have titles in Scripture. Have you ever noticed that? People are called stuff in the Word of God. Um, we're called sheep. It's kind of the divine, uh, you know, some people call it the divine insult. Um, we're called the people of God. But there's another term for us in Scripture, and it is children. And if you have ever had the privilege of raising children, or if you've ever had the privilege of being a child yourself, okay, chances are you, you might fall into one of those two categories. You know that when children are commanded or children receive a command, they, they tend to have a standard response. Um, kids have a go-to quite often, and the go-to is a, a three-letter question back that starts with the W and it ends with the Y, and I just said it. Uh, the, the response is, why? Clean your room. Why? Put on that shirt. Why? Uh, stay indoors. Why? Kids ask that question. And quite often, at least in previous generations, mine included, we had a standard response for our kids. And that standard response, our go-to was, do it because I said so, right? 
Um, some of us have learned this uh, painfully. If you haven't, it, it, go ahead and learn this now. That response usually doesn't work. Um, it doesn't work for our kids. It doesn't work for, for us. Um, typically, that end of, end of discussion statement leads to a very long discussion, right? Or an argument with our kids. Well, here's the good news, okay? The psalmist doesn't say, praise God, because I said so. I said it, that settles it, hop to it. Instead, look at what the psalmist does in 150. He goes on to tell us why, where, how, and who should praise the Lord. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. He starts with the, with the where in verse 1, and he says this, Praise God in His sanctuary, and praise God in His mighty heavens. Now, you'll never believe what the sanctuary refers to. Um, in the Old Testament, it is, starts off as the tabernacle, and it ends up being the temple. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, His sanctuary is, is simply where people gather together, uh, as the church, all those locations. In other words, this is God's chosen place for us to come together and worship Him. Here, every week, we do that, right? We worship God, we praise Him, we discover Him together, we, we love Him through all of this, and we're loved back by Him as a spiritual family. So that's in the sanctuary. Now, in his mighty heavens doesn't mean in a spaceship or from a satellite. In his mighty heavens means everywhere else. Everywhere else in all of creation. And we see that, by the way, all over the Bible. You know, we find people worshiping God on a mountain. We find the children of Israel worshiping God in the wilderness. We, we see Jesus gather people together by a lake or a seaside or in a field. And so, so out there is everywhere in creation. Why would that be? Because the Lord Jesus, God, is the Lord of in here, and he's the Lord out there. It sounds a little Dr. Susie, right? You know, uh, worship him in a box with a fox, in the rain, on a train, here, there, everywhere. And so that's where we are to worship God. And that's why we want to worship, we want to view worship, not only in terms of a service, we want to worship, we want to view worship in terms of a lifestyle, of everything we do everywhere we go. So that is where. But going back to children, we still have that question of why. Why are we to worship God? And the writer hits us with that in verse 2. He says, Praise God for his acts of power and praise him for his surpassing or unequal greatness. <clears throat> now, for his acts of power is simple. We praise God for everything that he has done in the past, everything that he's doing right now, and everything that he will do in the future. And you might ask yourselves, well, well what is that? You know, what has God been up to in times past? What's he up to today? What's he going to be up to in days to come? It's simple. Salvation, deliverance, setting people free from the bondage of sin, the darkness of evil and death. So God's, God's saving acts are all those heroic acts of deliverance that bring us freedom and life. And it's also the fact that nothing can stop God on his rescue mission. There's no power on this earth. There, there, there's no force. There's no group of people. There's, there's no spiritual force that can stop God from saving. 
You know, take Jesus Christ, for example. Think about Jesus and his rescue mission that we're going to celebrate today in communion, all right? Jesus had come to save. He faced the Jewish nation, the Roman Empire, Satan, and the kingdom of darkness. He even faced death itself. None of that could stop Jesus from his mission of dying and being raised to life for our salvation. So we praise God for his acts of power, what he's done, but the writer says, we also praise him for his surpassing greatness. And that's a reference to who God is, to God's character, to God's perfection, that that when we look at God in scripture, you know, who is he? Finding out the descriptions, looking at everything he's doing, what we see about God's character is God is love, God is good, We, we see his kindness, his generosity, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his patience, and oh, thank God for his patience, right? But, but we also thank God when we look at his character that he is always present with us. You know, there are times with people, you know, that you're like, I've had enough, I got I to tap out for a while. God never does that. I mean, this is who God is. He is the only being in the universe who is truly perfect and unlimited in his greatness towards us. And he aims all of that greatness toward us. So that is why we worship God, okay? So we we got the where and we got the why. That alone should have an impact on how we worship. You know, when when you think about God's character, right? I mean, you think about what he's done and what he's doing. It's kind of hard to turn from that and then come into worship and worship God like this. A mighty fortress is our God. It doesn't work, does it? No, says the writer in verses three through five. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing, with the strings and the pipe, with the clash of cymbals, praise him with resounding cymbals. Translation, praise God with everything you can lay your hands on. If it makes music, you praise him. Make it loud, celebrative, joyful. Make it soft. Make it sweet. Make it meditative. Use strings, brass, percussion. Sing it play it, move to it, because everything you have, including yourself, can and should be used to worship God. I love what Augustine said. Now, Augustine was around 400 AD, okay? This is a long time ago. Listen to what Augustine says about these verses. He says, no faculty is omitted in Psalm 150. Everything is enlisted in praising God. And so what that means for us, in part, is when someone comes up and they go, you know what, and not that you've done this, uh, but it it happens when someone comes up and goes, you know, I I don't like the guitar. I I don't like people moving around in worship. I don't like the organ. You know where their problem is? It's not out here. Their problem is actually with the Word of God because God opens the door for all of these things. We see this so clearly. So now we know the where, the why, and um, the how, that only leaves the who, all right? So y'all ready for the who? All right, here comes the who. The, finally end, the psalmist finally ends with who should praise the Lord in verse six. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. 
Now, how's that for an open door for you, okay? That's you and I as individuals. That is us as a congregation in a spiritual family. It even includes every living creature and everything that, that relies on oxygen. And for those of you who think, wait a minute, that's a stretch. Go back to Psalm 148. Look at who it starts with, the creatures and the living things. Consider verses like this. Let all the trees of the field clap their hands. So this literally is everything that interacts with oxygen. I love what Spurgeon says here. Spurgeon says, everything with breath means all living things. God gave them breath. Let them breathe his praise. Since all breath comes from him, let it be used for him. Isn't that great? And folks, what's so beautiful about Psalm 150 is it does represent worship throughout the entire Bible. You'll never find a break anywhere in Scripture from, from Psalm 150. And so let me ask you this because something has come back to me all week long as I've studied this. In light of this, do you see a potential problem in the church of Jesus Christ today. You know, a few weeks ago, um, about three weeks ago, I shared that Scripture is very clear about the importance of worship. That for you and I as the children of God, worship is vital, okay? It is like oxygen. We can't live without it. As God's people, worship is important. Um, Furthermore, the Bible is very clear about the object of worship, right? We started off with that. God is the one that we worship and we adore for so many reasons. And the, the Bible is very clear about our hearts engaging in worship. That this isn't just something, you know, that we kind of stumble through, but we really enter in, you know, the songs today that you guys led us in, so beautiful. But I mean, man, that really is us entering in prayerfully, joyfully, just praising God for who he is. But here's where it gets really interesting for the church, and I talked about this a little bit, the Bible after that doesn't endorse any specific style of worship after that. The Bible doesn't set aside just a very narrow set of songs that only work for the people of God. Do you you know Scripture, the Bible, does not endorse a choir over a band, over against a congregation, or a soloist? The Word of God doesn't pick the organ over the harmonica, right? Um, There there is nothing in the Word of God about whether we show up in a top coat and tails or whether we go into a worship service in t-shirt and flip-flops. If I did it, I might get a little flack, sure, right? There's nothing even in Scripture about how good or bad our voices are. Hallelujah to some of us, right? I mean, we get to come and just make a joyful noise. And all that stuff, though, and this is what what I think we we really want to lock onto, especially as we move into a new worship leader at some point. All of those things that I just listed, all of that is the stuff of religion, and it's the stuff of personal preference. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, you know, we all have our preferences, And that's okay, you know. Some of us love Baroque and chamber music, and, you know, some of us like a little rock in our music, right? I mean, we we all have different, different preferences. We all have different tastes. That's normal. That's to be expected. But we cannot ever make the mistake of making our personal preference the sacred standard for everybody else. 
You know, this happened in here about, about a year ago. Don't worry, the person's not here. A visitor walked up to the stage uh, after, and they, they haven't been here since, but a visitor walked up on stage after our worship service about a year ago and said, I'd never seen him before, and Marvin and I were standing here and they said, you know, the organ is the only instrument that should be playing all this music. That drummer and his little drum set need to go. Now, Marvin, Marvin and I took a moment to explain that we weren't going to kick Noah uh, out of the church, but, but just that, hey, drums really work for who we are as, as a church. You know, this is one way that we connect with God. And that person left, and I haven't seen him since. And I bring that up not to pick on the person, but just to say this, that is a perfect and painful example of someone who worships their worship preference. They worship their style, and they've weighed, measured, and found wanting and worthless any and every other style of worship except for their own. And I think that can be the problem in today's church. I, I believe, and I have believed for some time, that often when it comes to worship, we in the church can be very guilty of falling into judging other styles of worship. Um, I'll tell you this, maybe it's just where I've been, but in every church I've ever attended my whole life as a Christian, and this goes back to, I guess, I don't, golly, I don't know, four years old, I guess. But every church I've ever attended, and later on, every church I've ever ministered in, along with every Christian organization I've ever participated in, I have heard others, including myself, dismiss and demean other styles of worship, and, and other worshipers. I have heard younger Christians, and this isn't all younger Christians, by the way, but I've heard younger Christians tear into the worship styles of, of maybe more older Christians. Oh, hymns are so yesterday, they're so dry and dusty, and everyone over the age of whatever loves that. Um, I've heard older Christians tear into the worship styles of the younger all that 7-Eleven music, all that music is, it's not even about God anymore, it's just about other people. Those are judgments. Those aren't true. I mean, for those of us who are older, you know, we happen to like a lot of different styles of worship, don't we? But it, it's a judgment that doesn't fit people, right? But it is a judgment nonetheless. I, I've heard traditional Christians lambast charismatic worshipers. And I've been in charismatic churches and I've heard them do the same thing. And what hit me this week is that you would think the fear of God, fear of the one who is receiving all this praise from every tribe and tongue and nation and every generation, older and younger, you would think the fear of that would keep our tongues in check. Because what Psalm 150 does is it goes the other way. And it really points us back to what we've seen in weeks before that worship is all about the heart. Yes, it involves the Word of God, but it is, it is wide open. And generationally, God just receives everything that we bring to Him from loving hearts and loving lips. And so what I'd like to do is this, okay? Today, before we enter into communion, which is arguably the most sacred form of worship, I want to invite you to join me in a moment of repentance, why do I say repentance? Well, because I, th I think a lot of us are here at different times of our life. If you, like me, in times past or maybe in the present, if you've ever looked down on another group of worshipers or another style of worshipers, 
Take a moment before communion to just see that and confess that and receive forgiveness for that. And if you feel condemned this morning for that, I'm going to take away your condemnation card. You know why? Because there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ. One of the beautiful things about the Holy Spirit is that He loves to show up. And unless you are one of those people that have arrived, like you've already got it together, there, there, there are no missteps in your life. I'd love to meet you, by the way, whoever you are, okay? But if you're like me and you're a person who's still growing in Christ and you're still discovering, whoa, I made a misstep, I've made a mistake, today just ask for forgiveness for that. 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and, and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And folks, when that happens, you know what happens next? We get to step into worship on a whole new level, and we get to step into a whole new level of life together as God's people. I say all this today because I was, I've been praying together with a lot of ministers about revival, and one of the things that hit us recently is that God is always here to renew, to grow, and to heal the church. And sometimes what gets in the way are the things they just come to us little by little. We don't decide to load up and take fire at one another. Just little by little, we find ourselves in a place that we don't want to be at. So take a moment, and I'm going to pray over us, and then we'll uh, enter into communion. Father God, thank you that today you are here to heal your body. And Lord, there are many parts of your body in this church. And Father, as we started off this morning just saying, Lord, here we are, would you heal us? God, we recognize that, that one of those things that you heal us from are the darkness and the sin that so easily besets us all. And so God, we, we want to be a church that worships you fully in spirit and truth. And Lord, I can't think of a church that has got it dialed in just right and is all right. So today, would you just remove anything that's in the way of us loving you, enjoying you, being able to enter into worship in the splendor of your holiness. God, we, we want to be a people that we enjoy you. Lord, we both glorify you and we enjoy you together. So Father, we thank you for just the assurance of your forgiveness as we approach you. As we say, Lord, here we are. You love us so much, and we can't thank you enough for how you've loved us in Jesus' name. Amen.